Hey everybody, welcome back to the FBC Huntsville Young Adults Podcast. I'm your host, John Lemons, and this is episode 3.9 of our third our, our third season, our series this year on black, white, and red all over. We are talking about reading through the Bible. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Tiffany Fanning and Ellen Christian, and today our very special, special, special guest, Jamie Mackey, our student minister here at First Baptist Huntsville, taking the place of Ethan, who's been our, our guest for several months now. It's so good to have you guys. We are rolling into the month of November. Everybody doing well, having a good month. Uh, tell me, what, what was the highlight of your October? <laughs> My highlight of October was evidently not dying after the Alabama-Tennessee loss. <laughs> Yes, I saw that. That was put on our show notes by by Tiffany, but probably true. Probably true of Ellen. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it always hurts to lose. But hey, I mean, that makes SEC football just premium football. I mean, you just you can't have you don't have games like that in the Big Ten. Nice. Uh, insulting, possibly some of our audience. I don't know how many listeners we have in Big Ten country, but we've just lost them. Thank you, Ellen. All right. Uh, What about uh, Tiffany? What about you? How was your October? You know, um, a listener told me that they always look forward to me saying, well, you know, John, it went and October did go. Um, It did. It went. Um, It went by really fast. Surprisingly, Uh, I thought I had more time to like get kids costumes. But when you spend a week at Big Creek Missions um, in Bear Branch, Kentucky, you lose some time that you thought you had. So we went on a family mission trip um, in October and it was fabulous except Vera Lynn said and I quote this is the worst mission trip ever which she said it after she had gotten in trouble because she wasn't using good listening ears and I was like well it's the first one you've ever gone on so they can only go up from here Um, but it was great we had really good weather we had really great teams Um, Big Creek Missions bought the old um, elementary school in the area because they were building a new one and so it's kind of feels like camp because they have floor to ceiling bunk beds that they've put into the bedroom into the old classrooms their bathrooms are really nice which is really important for us ladies um and they have they just have a really good system down um i already asked Kristen and jelly joe about going back next year it was great we had a really good time um i also had my seventh wedding anniversary this month with jacob so seven years and um i added on to my tattoo which I'm going to talk about more later um, in the in the show. Nice, excellent. So that was your second mission trip this year. Like it you was, were just yeah. Hopping at it. That's New right. New York well, and Kentucky, and I'm getting pushed. So I'm going to say I was not originally going to do the New York trip because it was right during um, my oldest's birthday and a holiday week, and I was like, I don't just don't think I'm going to go. But then um, I was really encouraged by my friends to go and I had an excellent time. Ellen had FOMO because she didn't get to go. She had fear of missing out. Um, and then I was not really considering the family mission trip either because it's like, Oh, do I want to take the kids six hours by myself? Cause I just assumed Jacob wouldn't want to go. Um, I don't know if you've met him. He has a servant heart, but he kind of hides it. And, um, and then he was like, Hey, let's go on this mission trip. And I was, I was dumbstruck and I was like, well, okay, I guess we're going to go. And it was great. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And you, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the bathrooms because 
that is usually a part of the mission trip experience is is trying to like having to huff it and all that stuff so it sounds like you didn't have to do that it was down the hall from where the bedrooms were now there's a set of rooms that were further down the elementary school hallway but um it was close and it was well lit the bathroom stalls were really nice and the shower stalls were nice like i didn't I had shower shoes, but I wasn't in fear of like getting athlete's foot the second I stepped in. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Well, that sounds good. Jamie, I mean, you can share your highlight of October if you want, or since it's your first time with us, which, what's your highlight of 2022? Either, either one of those. That's a pretty big uh, undertaking to take a highlight of 2022. Following, I guess from one regard, I could say we've, we were actually able to regain like a student ministry summer, and we were able to do uh, mission trips to the DR for older students and to Roanoke, Virginia for younger, or all students. And uh, just being able to regain uh, that sense of ability to uh, take students and serve, uh, just sort of like off of what Tiffany was saying from the Big Creek uh, mission trip. Uh, by the way, your family could just dress up as a mission trip kind of family for Halloween and just wear your sweatshirts. So if you want to do that. So you don't have to worry about worry about costumes at that point, but just getting getting back into the ability to serve and do the things both locally and beyond uh, was a great time. But for October, our family got to go to uh, Colorado for fall break and got to hike a bunch and some new trails for both me and the kids. And and we had a family, uh, some friends go with us. And that was just a lot of fun all around. So we had a really good start to the month. That's awesome. You know, stop me if you've heard this before on my end, but I had a kid that had a band competition and another one that auditioned for a play. That was my highlights last (laughs) month, but it was actually another band competition this year and another, uh, another play audition. And they both, the, the band competition for my oldest, they got all superior scores. They got best overall score for all the bands there as well as best in class. Uh, which and that was that was her last one of her senior year, so it was a really good way for her to go out. She got all emotional about it and things like that. It was it was the culmination of a lot of years of hard work and even some missed years in there as well. Because this this year for her has really been the first like real like this is what high school's like so far. I mean, her freshman year started out that way, uh, but it didn't end that way. So so this looks like it's the first, you know, normal year of high school for her. And so it was a good way for her to go out. And then my, my youngest, she's a freshman auditioned for the Christmas play in the school production. Uh, you know, last month got one of the leading roles auditioned for the spring musical also got a, a pretty good uh, role there and is going to have a solo with that. So we're really excited for her because that's a big deal for her as a freshman. Her school's got a really good theater program. So it's a, uh, it's pretty awesome. And then, you know, personally, we went with my oldest over fall break and, and made our first official college visits as a family. We went into big 10 country Ellen and uh, did look at some schools up there. There's one that's high on the list. So we'll see how that turns out. Also applied to Alabama and Auburn. So those are the two sort of, you know, back pocket, you know, we know we're going to get in kind of thing. So just kind of see what, what gets offered there versus versus elsewhere. So we'll see how it goes. And then personally, like for me, highlight, I got to go to my first Alabama game and I've, which is, yeah. So I've been here six years 
And when I came, when I first came to the church and people began, you know, this interview process and all this stuff, I, I got to meet the deacons really early on. And one of the first questions I got asked was, are you going to be for Alabama or are you going to be for Auburn? And I said, I'll be for whoever takes me to the first game. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a recruit at this point. Like I'm, it's open recruiting, NIL, all that stuff. This was before that, but like I was, I could be bought. That's, that was my, that was what I was saying. And uh, for six years, nobody, nobody took me, nobody wanted me. I've never felt so unwanted in my life, but Finally, it was I. He, Ellen's laughing, but no, you can't hear this because she's muted. But it was at the at the grace of Ellen and her husband Kyle that uh, I I was able to attend my first game with my family this past weekend, and it was it was really cool to be on campus and to have that experience and the million dollar band and all that stuff. The game itself was not exciting, but uh, but it was it was a fun experience. So. And I hate it though, Ellen. because the lights weren't working. Like it for like the first experience, it was probably the worst first experience that you could possibly have. Uh, since the lights weren't working, it was homecoming, and they had the million dollar band didn't even like truly play for halftime. So yeah, but like as an experience though, I feel like you should see like an SEC football game because there it's, it's going to be a real experience. Not to disgrace my Big Ten, but they're just we're just a different oh yeah brand of football. Well, I saw SEC football in Tennessee, you know, back in the day. So I have I have had the experience of going to Nayland um, and seeing a the game there. That was not when Tennessee was as good as they appear to be now. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So, but no, going to an Alabama going to an Alabama game is like high on the list at you know at Bryant Denny. You know, it's it's up there. You know, for a sports fan, you know, that's one of the cathedrals. You know. Cameron Indoor Stadium for Duke basketball is one. Wrigley Field, Fenway Park. Those are all, I mean, those are just things you you have to do. You you have to cross off the list. And I got to do that. So thank you very much to you all for that, for that invitation. It was very, uh, it was very fun. It was a very enjoyable experience. And so that was my, that was my highlight. So let's roll into though, what we've been talking about and reading about in the Bible uh, this, this past month. And, uh, we, we dived in starting October 1st or dove in, I guess I should say we dove in starting October 1st to the gospels and, uh, reading about the life of Jesus now. And so I want to open up the question to you all. Do you think that you would have been a follower of Jesus? If you have lived in that time in that region, you'd heard about this man doing all these things that uh, he was doing and that sort of thing. Can you imagine that you would have been one who would have believed him and who would have followed him? And I guess hand in hand with that is, is there a Bible character or a character in the Gospels that has an encounter with Jesus that you feel like you most identify with? So those are our topics for the month. What, uh, what would you guys say to that? I would love to think that my answer would be a resounding yes, but I'm an unfortunate no, I don't think I would have followed. And if you've been in any of the Sunday school classes that I've, you know, the, the particular sessions that I've led, you've probably heard me say that before. It shouldn't be a shock to anyone in life point. Um, I don't do going against the grain well, and I also don't do not following the rules well. And so I, un I completely understand having gone through the Bible on my second trip um, you know, learning it the first time and really understanding it the second time that the rules outlined by the Pharisees were not 
God's rules. They were man-made. There were all these extra fences, you know, written around the rules that God had provided, but it was so accepted. I think that I would have had an issue with trying to step outside of those. So I really want to say yes. I kind of would hope that I'd be like the Samaritan woman at the well who met him, didn't know about him before, and just like totally was amazed and just shouted it from the rooftops. But I don't think that I would have. And that makes me really sad to say. I've also said in classes before that if Jesus came back today and it wasn't like the rapture, I'm not sure that I would follow either. You know, we've had people in the past that were crazy and they're like, oh yeah, I'm the Messiah. And we're like, yeah, no, dude, you're some little guy in Texas and you just got everybody murdered. Thanks. I think I'm not going to follow you. So I don't think so. It makes me, makes me feel bad, but I'd probably be condemned. Um, (laughs) And if I had to be a character or who I think I would identify with most in um, the new Testament scriptures, I originally thought Peter or maybe Thomas, because I'm a doubter and like Thomas, the doubter, that seems to be a good fit. I want to see things before I can really believe them. And Peter um, jumps in with both feet and he gets really excited about things. And then he starts to falter and he's like, I'm not so sure, like walking on water with Jesus, you know, dope until you think it's not. So I'm like, well, that kind of fits. And then I remembered Martha, sweet, sweet Martha, who has all of these tasks she's trying to get done. And she's got this loser of a sister, Mary, who's not doing anything to help out with the preparation of the food because people have to eat and they didn't have instant pots. I mean, they had to cook all day and they had to go get those chickens out of the yard and pluck them and behead them. And I mean, it's just like a whole lot of stuff. And so I'm Martha. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, I have anxiety. I keep a running list of things I need to be doing that I'm not doing. I have issues with trying to take a rest and just sit and do nothing because I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something. There's something else to accomplish. And so I really have to sit and take myself out of the Martha headspace and into the Mary headspace and sit at the feet of Jesus and know that that is what's most important. You saying all that there's right over your shoulder is like one of those pressure pots. What do you call that? The instant pot. It would instant pot. Yes. Okay. That would be so awesome if it was on right now. But, uh, the fact that it's even in the frame is a good, I, I think, testimony of agreement with you on uh, on your assessment of you being Martha Tiffany. So, well done. Well done. Thanks. I'm guessing, Tiffany, you use an Instapot so you can also manage everything else that you're doing, right? And so you, That's right. Yeah, you fulfill so actually, all obligations. I've, I've also started doing, like, freezer meal plans. So I take a Saturday and I'll be in the kitchen for like four or five hours and it's a mess. I'll run the dishwasher like three or four times that day because I'm making everything, but then I can put it in the freezer and I can pull it out to make it or using my crock pot on the, or my instant pot on like the slow cooker mode. And I just dump it all in and I walk away because I have two kids. I mean, they're young, they're four and two. I've, I've got a whole household to manage. I've got a career outside of being, you know, a full-time wife and mother. I ain't got time to be, sitting on my laurels i want to give you a, a big clap or you know kind of thing to be able to think that for in advance what your meals we're re- usually going at five o'clock what are we having for dinner tonight what do we yeah. what can we scrounge together so that's what happens when they get into high school that's yeah how, that's how you live yeah so well I, you know to the question you know would i follow jesus i would hope yes you know that's that's what you're supposed to say but I, you know i really think that i would that i would hopefully do that. Uh, 
I hope that the authenticity of Jesus uh, would have been so compelling uh, that I would have just been right all up into the mix of it. Um, I, I think seeing how Jesus encountered people would have grabbed me. At least that's what I, what I hope. Um, and to that, you know, which, uh, person, uh, my name, I go by Jamie, but my name is James. So I'll just say that I'll be like James of James and John. And, uh, I, I just, I'd probably fall right in line with him. Uh, my college roommate was Jonathan. And so we were, I guess, geeky bobble nerds going through Jack state and saying we're James and John sons of thunder and the sons of thunder. Sons yes. of thunder. That's what we'd say. And so, um, so we, I just sort of hung on to that. And so I'd probably be James, uh, sort of, he was right all up in the mix, but he was never, he also was never the one who just stood all the way out front like Peter often did. Uh, but he was, he was, a, seemed to be a, a leader and a, a, one of the early followers of Jesus. Yeah. And my brother's name is James and my dad is very temperamental. So I have used that <laughs> sons of thunder nickname very often. And it is, it, I love that nickname. It, I, it's my favorite nickname yeah. and it's not just because it involves John, but of all the nicknames that what's up train. I don't know if y'all can hear that. That's really loud. Um, but of all the nicknames Jesus gives, I think that's the best one. Peter gets all the attention, but sons of thunder is, is such a good nickname. And, I've even used that nerd alert when I was in college. Uh, I've, I've disclosed on the show before that I, I play fantasy football in college. I played fantasy professional wrestling. We had a professional <laughs> wrestling fantasy league and we would watch Monday night nitro and Monday night raw and whatever happened, we would get points or whatever. But my, my team's name was the sons of thunder. So excellent. It's really you know, it's a great nickname. Yeah, almost same for me. I've always sort of pictured it as like two guys doing a Saturday night spoof kind of thing. James and John, Sons of Thunder, and so just like yeah. body movements and all that kind of stuff, boom or something. You know, yeah, it, yeah, it is fun. It's awesome. Um, I I think I'm going to feel the same way. I don't know that I I would hope that I would, but I I'm, I'm just a little skeptical of myself now, only because. It, it seemed Jesus's ministry seems so odd in in relation to everything going on that I'm afraid that the oddity is that a real word I'm afraid the oddity of it would spook me away almost or you know and and even then I you know when we were going through the Old Testament I got so frustrated with the Israelites being right there with God and still not getting it that I feel. I would be too. I would not get it. And so that's, so I'm, I'm afraid that I, I would um, have not followed or have stood from afar just to kind of keep in. Um, but I'm going to piggyback off of what Tiffany said on Martha. Um, I'm a capital M Martha, <laughs> if you've ever met me. <laughs> so Tiffany and I get along because we both have lists. We were both on trying to be on top of things. And um, so, yeah. That's where I am. And maybe that's probably, that's probably the two biggest, um, aspects for women. Are you like a list maker doing all the things or are you Mary where you're sitting down and you're chill and you're very Zen? Like, you know, sometimes I feel like there's no in between for a woman in her thirties. Maybe, I don't know, with three kids. Hmm. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I think you guys are spot on with, 
your, your at least your honesty about yourselves because I, I I say the same like I doubt I would have been at least an early follower and I think we as as just humans in general uh, by our nature we tend to overestimate how we would have uh, reacted to things that are part of you know world history or or whatever you know we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt like oh well you know i wouldn't have been a racist or i wouldn't have had slaves or whatever when like historically that's probably not true you know you, you go back even to revolutionary times like 40 percent of the country uh even during the revolutionary war still supported england and i mean they were tories and they they still wanted to maintain that relationship uh, so, you know, we tend to think like, oh, like, well, I would have been one of the, you know, one of the patriots, one of the revolutionaries, probably not. And in the case of, of the New Testament, you know, I think I probably would have been skeptical because, I mean, it would have been a, I mean, the very nature of Jesus coming is is earth shattering and is paradigm shattering. So if you're trying to be a good, faithful Jew, you believe, you know, there's only one God and uh, you know, that God is the only God. He's the one true God. And then this guy shows up on the scene saying that he's God. Um, it just would have been, it would have been hard to take if you were a good Jew, which is why I commend the ones who did do it. Now, I do think I would have been just by my nature, I would have been probably a lot like Nicodemus. Uh, and so that's the character I would say that I most identify with. I would have had questions. I, you know, I mean, you're talking about, too, with Jesus, his own brothers and sisters, like in his household, had a hard time believing he was God, just as you would be. Like if your brother was like, hey, I'm, I'm God, like you'd be like, you're crazy. So I think I would have taken those things along with some of the things that Jesus was doing and some of the things that Jesus was teaching. And I think I would have just had a lot of questions. And I think I would have been a little bit like Nicodemus and just if I had an audience with Jesus, I would have just peppered him with questions and been really confused as, as Nicodemus is in John chapter three. But I'd like to hope that I'd also take the track that Nicodemus ends up taking. You, you find him at the end of the gospels where he's advocating for Jesus before the Sanhedrin as Jesus is, is being accused and being you know on trial. And we see him at the cross and, and at the, the burial of Jesus being very involved. So I'd like to think that I would have been like Nicodemus and would have had a lot of questions and hopefully found the answers to my questions and, and, and found myself in a place uh, where Nicodemus does by the time, you know, Jesus is, is crucified and, and resurrected. Um, but as far as one of the earliest followers, I very highly doubt I would have been one of those. Um, I would have, I would have, um, been a lot more skeptical, I believe. So, uh, but yeah, no, that's a really good take by all of you. Uh, I think, uh, like I said, I think y'all probably really being honest with, um, how you, uh, how you view that. So let's turn our attention now to, uh, just insights from the gospels that you've noticed or that you would like to share. Uh, you know, we started October 1st, like I said, we're about halfway through, at this point. So what are things you've seen along the way? Or Jamie, since you're joining us, I know you were really intrigued by the topic or by the book of Luke and sharing and talking about that topic with us. So just kind of share some some insights that you guys took away this month that our listeners or viewers at home can uh, incorporate into their reading or into their takeaways from this uh, this gospel reading as well. 
probably, you know, growing up, I loved the Gospel of John probably most, but because of how it was written is different. But I took a class while in seminary on the Gospel of Luke, and it just grabbed me, how the book is written, uh, how maybe it's part of it, how Dr. Culpepper taught it, but some, but he also gave us the ability of a, while we were learning it from and studying it from an academic side, he wanted us to do a, a reflection each week on reading two chapters, using no other aids except for our own reading of the gospel and reflect, just write a one page reflection on it. And that was such a really good aspect of personal discipleship for me. Uh, that, and I just started reading it just purely from a literary sense. And what was the movements of it? Not trying to, you know, add something. What did Matthew or Mark say about this? Or what was, you know, how was it so different in the Gospel of John or something like that? But just let the Gospel of Luke stand out for itself. And out of that, I started seeing certain themes running through the Gospel and, and how Luke interwove those things over chapters and stuff for like one, you know, the like the question of who is Jesus was a major question and theme going through the early part of the gospel. You see at Jesus' baptism in chapter 3 at verse 22, uh, while, as Jesus comes out of the water, God speaks to Jesus to say, and you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And then just a little bit later, after Jesus sort of starts his ministry, and he reads uh, the scroll of Isaiah 61 in the synagogue in, in uh, Capernaum. Uh, the people are amazed at this, and they ask the big question that then opens up this theme of like, isn't this Joseph's son? Almost like, who really is this kid? Uh, well, 30-year-old kid uh, that we've seen grow up among us. And uh, and then that, that sort of that question keeps going, where people are wondering who he is, but most unlikely uh persons in the story actually know so like later in chapter four jesus is driving out a demon and the demons know exactly who he is saying the holy one of god i know who you are but everybody else is going who is this they're amazed at what's going on uh, the pharisees uh, speak uh, when jesus heals uh tells a paralytic man in chapter five that his sins are forgiven they ask you know who is this who speaks blasphemy who can give forgive sins except for God alone? And then a little bit later, John the Baptist, who you know, was the forerunner for Jesus, but is in jail at this point. He's asking and a little bit, you know, shows his vulnerability and shows his unsureness of a little bit of saying, are you the one who is to come or are we to look for another? Uh, and that question keeps going when Jesus is at a Pharisee's house named Simon and he uh, tells this sinful woman who comes and and washes his feet, like uh, he tells her that her sins are forgiven. Uh, they are asking, like, who is this who can forgive sins? Uh, you know, at this, and there's that question about just, you know, again, who is Jesus? Jesus then calms the wind and the seas uh, while they're out on a boat in chapter eight, and the disciples are like amazed and probably awestruck and fearstruck all at the same time, and then ask that very question. Who is this that even the winds and the water obey him? And then we get into chapter nine where this whole question is culminating and, and hitting its climax. Herod asks, who is this? Uh, Jesus pulls his disciples together after they feed, he feeds the 5,000. And he points to them and says, well, who do people say that I am? They say Elijah. Some say it's John the Baptist. Others say prophets. And then all of a sudden Jesus points it right towards them. But who do you say that I am? 
Peter boldly says, you are the Christ. And, uh, and then he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain for the scene that we call the transfiguration. Moses, Moses and Elijah show up. If that's not enough, a cloud then shows up and out of the cloud comes this voice speaking to Peter, James, and John, like, this is my son. Listen to him. And so all that huge question that really begins in chapter three and chapter four runs its way through all the way to chapter nine with the voice of God bookending ending that on both sides of it saying, this is my son. And, uh, and so it's a, just a, it just sort of grabbed me all the way through. And it has sort of internalized for me, like, who do I say Jesus is? I, as I would read along, how am I asking that question? How am I responding and answering that question as well? And then there are other places. Luke is much more uh, about the uh, the first shall be last and last shall be first. There's a turnover upside down of approach of the gospel. There's an economic upside down of this. Even if you read Mary's song in chapter one, after she sees Elizabeth, she talks about, you know, that the her baby, the Messiah, will scatter the proud, will bring down rulers. She'll, he'll fill the hungry and send the rich away empty. We see that shepherds are the first to hear the birth of the Messiah. We see that uh, Jesus is reading in Isaiah, talks about proclaiming freedom for prisoners and release of the captives. Uh, we see in chapter 6, uh, sort of a Luke version of the Matthew Sermon on the Mount, but you might call it Sermon on the Plains. It's, it says, blessed are you who are poor and doesn't add the poor in spirit like it does in Matthew. It's just talking about like a, if you read it straight for what it is, it's a, it's an economic release of freedom for those who are poor. And then he keeps on speaking of this through the rest of the gospel, this economic upside down approach and, uh, and a lot of, uh, justice language in there. And the last thing uh, I'd probably say is like after God answers who Jesus is to that question of who is Jesus, a new theme comes out in the last part of chapter 9. In verse 51, it says, Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem. And from there to chapter 19, so another 10 chapters, we have another journey that Jesus is on getting to Jerusalem. And several places along the way, it says, uh, you know, in a little bit later in chapter 9, it says he sends his messengers ahead or while they were walking along. In chapter 10, he and his disciples were on their way, meaning where were, the, what, where were they going while on the way? They were on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, and then chapter 13, it says they went through towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, it says. Uh, for chapter 14, it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Why they were traveling? Because they were on that way to Jerusalem. And then uh, chapter 18, Jesus to his disciples, we are going to Jerusalem. And as they like at the end of chapter 18 and beginning of chapter 19, they were approaching Jericho. They were passing through Jericho. Jesus sort of set his face towards Jerusalem with an absolute sense that that's where he was going. And what awaited him in Jerusalem? I mean, it was his sac personal sacrifice. It was the cross and ultimately life through the resurrection. And so I've, through that one, I find myself like, am I on this journey with Jesus? Uh, am I living life with a purpose uh, for Jesus? Because he, he, he was on purpose, on target uh, through that approach. And I, 
I just love the gospel of Luke for how it does that. Yeah. We've talked about this before where, you know, we're reading chronological now. So if you're reading along with us, that's what you're doing. And it's a great way to read it. If you've never read it before and you, you just need to get a picture of like, what's, what's going on, what's the story of the Bible. But once you do that, I do, I'm a strong advocate for going back and reading individual books and really as, as much as you can at one time. Um, the gospels are, are not hard to sit down. I mean, to carve out, you know, a half hour to an hour and just read it through and pick up some on some of the themes that you're talking about, Jamie, because they are, they're writers. They are, they have things that you want, they want you to see and they want you to pick up on. And they do have themes that develop and they have, do have motifs that develop just as scripture itself does. And I'll talk more about some of the motifs that I see a little bit later on, but, but I love that you highlight that because that's one of the things I've just kind of been trying to drive home this whole year is yes, get this full picture for what's going on. But then once you, you have that full picture, go back and, and, you know, pick a, a few books here and there that you can sit down and read through now that you know the story and then kind of pick up on some of these themes, like you, like you said. So, um, man, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, what about, uh, Ellen, Tiffany, what about you guys on, on insights that you picked up from our reading this month? Um, so <laughs> my, um, Mary and Jesus at the wedding at Canaan story. Um, I like, this will be my funny, um, because sometimes I feel like it shows a little bit of the human relation. Is that right? The human relationship between Mary and his mother. Um, and then it's like, then he turns the water into wine. So it, then it reminds you, Oh wait, no, he's divine too. You know, like there's a little, and, and, and it does like when you read it first off, it does sound a little like backhanded. Um, but it, you know, it is just the natural, how they talked then. But, um, I think it's always nice to know, you know, that he was a human too. And I feel like that's a nice reminder. I also like that. It kind of just brings Mary back into the picture a little bit. Um, cause sometimes I, I think we forget about her after the birth. Um, you know, she was there, but I feel like this conversation reminds, you know, everybody that, well, she was there and, and there is a relationship between them. So um, I feel like it's a little, um, it's a, it's a humanizing trait. Uh, that sounds so weird to say. Um, but um, so my next thing is um, in the gospels, I feel like there's a lot of um, healing uh, going on, which is great. I'm all for it. But sometimes like I get nervous a little bit when there's a lot of healing um, and people read that. And maybe that's all they focus on is the healing, you know, how much healing Jesus did. Um, because I'm afraid that we're going to take that into present day. Um, oh, Jesus can heal. Jesus can heal. Well, that's true. But now it's, we have like social media and Instagram. And so I'm afraid that sometimes when Jesus doesn't heal on earth, it makes Jesus look bad. And so every time we're reminded, I mean, every time I read that, I'm just, because I have been, um, I have followed a, which I don't want to name them by any means, but, um, I followed a blogger. She was an artist and, um, she, her daughter was in a terrible, um, golf cart accident and they've been like, Jesus is going to heal. Jesus is going to heal. And I'm afraid like sometimes with that platform, you know, like what if, what if she isn't miraculously healed on earth? And what does that look like to people looking in 
also the story of Rory and um, what was those, that the husband's name that they got a lot of traction in like what 2012 the singer she was a singer out of Nashville um, you know you know Tiffany who I'm talking about you know they had a big public platform I'll think of her name and it's Rory, her name is Rory no yes yeah um but she was dying of cancer i think and they had a daughter named arizona maybe who was um she had down syndrome and i mean like it got a ton of pump and they were doing the big big prayer vigils for her and i just thought oh man like i i don't want to say that my faith knew that she wasn't going to be healed but it was just such a public platform and you know you had all these people commenting and and i was just like oh this is not this is not the purpose of healing. And so then as we were going through it this time, there's a place in there where he's, Jesus says like only God can change hearts. Like miraculous things are not what bring people to God. It's the, you know, the God, the Holy spirit changing your heart. And so I was reminded that a little bit, um, for myself. Like, I think I needed that reminder, um, that just because people see these miraculous things, or if they don't see these miraculous things, it's not going to change their view on, or it may not change their view on God, I guess. Um, but that, was, that piece always kind of made me nervous. Go ahead, Tiffany. It's Joey was the wife and Rory was the yeah, husband yeah, and her yeah, daughter's yeah. name is Indiana. So you're very close on I was all close. Points. And she but, died but, in know, 2016 a bunch of, of cervical cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so and it, everybody was doing prayer vigils and I just kept saying I was like oh man I feel like when you start doing that and you start it's like you're almost um challenging God to heal them and I don't know and I and I, I get nervous I get nervous about that um but um then my third thing was um I love the story of of Jesus feeding the 5,000 not only does it involve bread, my favorite food group, but um, so this time I tried to just like listen to it. So, Jamie, what you were saying about uh, like doing the writing after um, Luke. So we were in um, I just finished teaching on Hebrews. And so uh, in it, Jen Wilkin asked in the study for you to like um, just read it and listen to it, but not um, analyze it to death and let some things like go unanswered she'll like ask you questions and and I don't know about y'all but when we do a lifeway study they ask some really hard questions <laughs> and I never know those answers or I never feel like I'm a good enough bible person to know those answers and so I felt almost like off the hook like thank you for telling me at the very beginning of the study that I don't have to know the answers to these questions and um so when I when I read through the feeding of the 5000 because it is one of my favorite stories and I I have taught on it before I tried to like listen with fresh ears. And so the part that I picked up was um after Jesus feeds them they were satisfied. So I thought that like we had just talked about in Hebrews about taking and eating of the body and so they of the bread, right? And so then it was like they heard Jesus on the outside and then they took Jesus in through the bread on the inside and like they were satisfied. So I was like, oh man, like that they were satisfied part rang out to me um, for the first time. And that, like I said, that's a, oh, I mean, I've heard that story a lot in sermons because it's popular, but then um, I've also taught on it. So I, sometimes I just, I feel like I glean over things if I've already taught on it. I don't know how y'all feel as uh, seminary people, if y'all glean over lots of stuff, but I tend to glean. No, all the time. I mean, there are things that, I don't know how many times I've read the Bible, but 
there's things I'm still picking up now. I'll one of mine I'll share in a moment is something that like dawned on me this year. And that's one of the beautiful things about reading the Bible over and over and over is things still pop out at you and you, you notice things. And, and when you do it the way we're doing it, where you get in the full picture, you make connections because you'll, you'll remember things that you read, you know, months ago that stuck with you. And then you'll, you'll make a connection to it. You, sh- you shared a graphic one time on social media of like, it was, it, it looked like yes. a rainbow. Basically it was like all the verses that mm-hmm. like tied to one another from different parts of the Bible. And it's just this overwhelming picture. And so when you read through that, you pick up on those kind of things, but it's really easy to kind of gloss over and miss things. You know, I'm a big proponent. I've said before as well of reading in different translations or even in reading in the message, because there's a danger when you've been in church your whole life, you've heard all these verses in some way, shape or form. And so they're just familiar. And so they don't, there's nothing about them that jars you. Uh, But when you read the message, it's unfamiliar enough that it can feel like reading it or hearing it for the first time The I've said before, the first time I ever read the book of Romans in the message, I read the whole thing through and like I cried at the end of it because I mean, everybody does the Romans road and you there's all these memory verses you get from Romans and VBS or whatever when you're a kid. But like to read it through. And to read it in a way that it was, it sounded like I was, or it felt like I was reading it for the first time, just, it shook me. It really did. And so I think there's a, a beauty to doing that when you can do that, because yes, we do have a tendency to gloss over things from time to time. And I'm with you on the healing stuff too, because I think we can, we, we can get the idea that like Jesus just walked around healing everybody. And there were times when he, you know, people were brought to him and he just like spent the night like healing people. But I mean, there's a lot of times where like he walked by blind men and didn't heal him and he walked by people who were disabled and he didn't heal him. And I think I think we're we're told the stories we are because those are the stories where he did do it, you know, um, or it's but like you're a positive right. Like, of Jesus, you know, like a positive, not, not that everything's negative, but there's like a positive light on him. Right. You know, it's easy right, yeah. to relate to. Right. But the point of the miracles wasn't just to do a miracle. I mean, he says he heals the blind guy in John nine and he says, this is so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. And he, he does the guy with, uh, with the mat who the, the four friends carry in. And he, he says, I'm doing this to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins. And so that was really what was behind it. And even with the feeding of the 5,000, if you read that in the book of John, he does that miracle. And then they come back the next day and ask for more bread. You know, it's like they cross the river with them and they're like, Hey, what, what sign are you going to do? And he's like, I've had it with you, <laughs> you know, like he's so, so that it's his miracles are never just to do miracles. And um, yeah, that's the, the point is not to just heal everybody. It's to testify to who he is. And uh, a few years ago in October for the podcast, we did a series called Holy Ghost Stories and Travis came on one of the ones. And I, one of the things I he said, I thought was so profound. He just said, you know, when you look in the Bible, it's never really miracles that change people. We always think it's like, well, if I just had a miracle, then like, then I would believe, or then I would be, my faith would be so strong. And he's like, that's never what makes people's faith strong. It's the, it's the daily disciplines. It's the reading your Bible. It's the praying. It's the participating in fellowship with other believers. It's serving people. Those are always the things that produce in you the long-term change that, that you want to see. So that's just a thought there with the Israelites because they Mm -hmm. had God right there. And All it obviously didn't matter. You know, yep. they kept pff, turning away. Daily yep. manna from heaven. Yep. 
So, well, Tiffany, your your insights, your highlights. So, um, I don't know if you know, but my family farms. I don't farm; it's my in laws that farm. They um, they have lots of big equipment, and so again, this is my second trip through the Bible, and I feel like both times, like the farming agricultural aspect, um, seems to hit a little closer to home, just because I can see it across my front yard. Um, so the the parable of the the four soils, the same seed is dropped, and it matters where you plant your um, your information of Jesus. You can't just go stand on the corner of the VBC and just like spout Bible verses at people as they walk into a Havocs game because people are going to ignore you. I ignore them, and I'm already a Christ follower, and so I mean it's just like not the appropriate um, space or people to perhaps be getting it, the message that spread. So um, every time I hear that specific parable, it makes me think of like how we need to really um, nurture the ground that we're planting the seed of Jesus and his teachings in. Um, We can't just be throwing it out like confetti as we walk down the road because some people are going to really take it to heart and they're going to have shallow roots and something bad's going to happen and they're going to immediately walk away. Um, and then they're like, well, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't heal my cancer. And so I believed and now I, I have unbelief. Um, and we can't just, I mean, so we can't just like make new converts and then, all right, you're good. Now go away. We have to really nurture them. Um, and also the story where, um, they were planting wheat and then an, an enemy or whatever of the farmer came in and sowed, uh, weeds. He threw weeds in with the wheat and then the farmers, um, helpers were like, Hey, do you want us to pull up the weeds? He's like, not right now because everything looks the same. There will be a time where we can harvest and the wheat will look different from the weeds and then we'll pull the weeds out and we'll burn them and get them away and we'll collect the good stuff. So like being patient and waiting and not trying to go ahead of what the natural ordered plan is. Like I can't force my kids to be baptized because I want to spend eternity with them. I have to wait for them to show that they're mature and ready and are able to accept the truth as we believe it. Um, But also, so it's the new Testament so far has been a lot of seeds (laughs) for me and plants, but also the faith of a mustard seed. So I like mustard. I, I eat it in my house. I use it for cooking. I don't really think much about how big a mustard seed is, but I have a floral tattoo on my arm for my girls. Um, I have a lot of anxiety. So I wanted something to be like for first Peter five, seven, you know, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you, but I didn't want that much on my arm. So I was like, I'm gonna have a cross and my girl's birth flowers. And that's going to be my reminder. And then the mustard seed hit me just like so hard. And I was like, I'm going to add a mustard seed. Y'all mustard seeds, tiny. It would look Mm -hmm. like the tattoo artist just like, like dotted me on accident. It looked so stupid. And so, um, I went and I Googled the mustard tree and like, I saw these really pretty flowers. So as the mustard seed gets in the ground, it grows up as like a pretty little flower and then it becomes a, a sturdy little tree. And it's the biggest tree in a garden. If you have one, um, and the, the flowers obviously produce seeds and that's where we get mustard from. And so I had my tattoo artist when she was adding color to my tattoo, I was just like, Hey, go ahead and add me a mustard flower. Um, so it's great. It's a beautiful addition. Um, 
but mustard trees are massive. I don't know if you've ever Googled them, but I was just like awestruck. Um, they can be 20 feet high and they can be as wide as they are tall. So they can be up to 20 feet wide and they're like practically impossible to kill once they're established. And I just thought, you know, this tiny seed and the implications of that, it grows up and it's a pretty little flower that also makes seeds. And then that grows up into a big tree with all these branches. And it, it really just ties back to me as a believer and Jacob as a believer and the two of us believing in our individual mustard trees. And we have these beautiful girls and they have, there are branches on our mustard tree. And then if they continue their faith, they just continue to sprout out and then they make mustard plants and flowers and then they drop mustard seeds and then those grow and it's just like this beautiful intertwined kingdom of mustard trees everywhere because we have faith and the people before us had faith and we all planted roots yeah that's really good and that's a you know that's a metaphor for individual faith it's also a metaphor for just church in general like you think about the church starting the movement starting with the followers of jesus who were left behind both at his crucifixion and then after his resurrection and, and being, I mean, so small, you could count the people in the room and now the church being what it is today on every inhabited content continent uh, with every, I mean, too many people to count, uh, you know, Kings and rulers and princes and paupers throughout history who have all called the church home and, and something that they belong to. So it even works at, in that way as a metaphor uh, so really good. Uh, and thank you for sharing. Cause you know what? I've never seen a mustard tree or whatever. So they're huge. Um, it's crazy. I'll have to, I'll have to Google that. And, to, and I just did. I just put Googled. an image. I, I'll throw an image in the show notes if I can remember to do they're that. So. And, and something really funny, just to piggyback onto that. Um, Vera Lynn, such a sweet kind soul when she wants to be, but she also has a little bit of a mean streak in her. I'm sure that's really hard to imagine. Um, but she comes up to me and says, mommy, I love Jesus better than you. I love God better than you. And I'm like, okay, like, that's great. Guess what? God and Jesus love you more than I love you. So nice. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't hurt my feelings, but if you're trying to hurt my feelings, that's not nice. And that hurts God and Jesus to say it that way, but they would love for you to love them more than you love me. And I'm like, it'd be fine. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I, I do think you should challenge her on that, though, a little bit more, because you can tell her, like, you're reading through the Bible. So, I mean, I think that's a, more proof of your love for Jesus. So, uh, on my highlights, I'll try to be really fast, but this is one of the things that jumped out at me this year, because I've always, I've you know, you talked about the wedding in Cana, Ellen. I've always just looked at that and been like, I mean, it's just kind of a random story. It's a random first miracle. Uh, a lot of people will say, like, that's a testimony to the the richness of the kingdom that that Jesus is initiating. But I started thinking about it more this time, and I just thought, you know, this is where it helps to know the story of the Bible and kind of where the Bible has has been taking us in this journey. And I think there's more to that story. I think that story almost has a um, like a parable type of. I mean it's a it's a it's a miracle that Jesus does, but I think it has a lesson behind it in the way a, a miracle does as, or the way a parable does as well. Because you you look at um you know the metaphors that are used for God's relationship with his people, a lot of a lot of times it's children. But a lot of times also there's talk of a covenant, which is a 
a marital thing as well. You have a covenant, a marital covenant, a marital contract. Uh, and also, you know, we get into the prophets and the analogies or the metaphors used often of the people of Israel being the wife of of God, right? So, um, we, I mean, we just read that in Hosea. So uh, I think it's a really, it's almost a testimony to the story of the Bible that like, hey, we've had this this wedding, this covenant with God, and we've run out of wine, basically, which was a like a huge no-no. You didn't have a party and run out of wine that reflected very poorly, but like it's it was basically a sign like the party's over. And if you you read the Old Testament as we have, you get to the end of it, and that's sort of the message. Like the party's over, we've run out of wine, we've tried all these things, now what? And then that's when Jesus shows up on the scene. And that's when the wine's the best, right? So he he produces this, the good wine. And really, I think that's kind of the message of the Bible in the same way is, is we have this covenant with God that we've messed up. We've run out of wine. The party's over. Here comes Jesus. Oh, the party's really just now getting started. So I think that's a really, that story itself is a really good encapsulation of, of just the Bible story in general. I think also um, I started thinking about it. I think it kind of blends really well as as well with the Passover, um, because there would have traditionally been four cups of wine at that meal, and it's the last cup of wine that Jesus says, "I will not drink this cup with you until I drink it again in my Father's kingdom." So the good wine's still available, and this invitation to come to that table and drink that wine uh, is still is still on the table as well. So just a, a neat thing I saw looking at the Bible as a story and seeing that sort of as, as an encapsulation of it. I think too, touching on what you talked about, Ellen, with miracles and things like that and and the the hope we kind of place in things, you know, I, I see the same thing a lot on social media. I think it's important to keep in mind that Jesus didn't always do that, even for his most faith, faithful followers. So I preached on this before, but, you know, John the Baptist, you know, Jamie talked about Luke chapter four and, and Jesus, his first sermon. And one of the things he says is the prisoners will be freed. And then he starts doing all these miracles. And John the Baptist is in prison and he sends messengers to Jesus. And the messengers say, hey, like basically what they say is, don't you remember that sermon where <laughs> you said you were going to free the prisoners? Like, so are you who you say you are or do I need to look for someone else? Basically, like is somebody else going to free me or are you going to do it like you said or whatever? And Jesus sends the messengers back and says, tell them what you have seen. And he repeats all the things in that sermon, except for <laughs> the prisoners will go free. So the message he sends to John is, is uh, no, like you're, you're going to die there, but it's not a reflection of John's faithfulness. It's not a reflection of how Jesus sees John. It ends up being a prophecy, uh, 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 you know, a way in which John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. So he doesn't only do that in the desert proclaiming Jesus. He also does that in his life by being someone who's condemned and who eventually is, uh, finds himself alone and in, in, in the dungeon on his own. And, and that is a metaphor for eventually what, what Jesus will end up being like as well. So uh, that was a, a highlight I took. And then, you know, my, the last thing, the, there's a, a random verse, uh, where it talks about Peter's mother-in-law being sick and Jesus comes to his house and heals her and the fever goes away. And then she gets up and cooks dinner, which I just thought was kind of funny because I was like, you know, like, hey, like I can heal you, but you still got to make dinner or whatever, you know, like I think Jesus. That's a true mom. And that's like yeah, I'm my whole family had COVID in September. And do you mm -hmm. know who still made supper? 
this lady. You. Yes, Me. absolutely. I still fed I the household. No, it's yeah. not hurrah, Jamie. It's it's horrible. Yeah. Like I didn't No, I was doing it. this like strength. Strength. Oh, not not right. hurrah, but strength. Well, Jacob <laughs> yeah. was probably doing hurrah, but you were going, I'm strong. I'm I'm stronger than COVID. I didn't yeah. want to be strong. I wanted to be nurtured. If <laughs> my mom didn't have if my mom didn't have cancer, I would have had her over here in a minute being like, Mom, take care of me. I'm sick. Mm. <laughs> it I it is, I mean, I, I love that Jesus healed her and then she got up and cooked a meal. And I, you know, of all people, I think Jesus could have been like, Hey, I got this, you know, but, uh, but he didn't, she, she, he probably covered the wine though. So we can go, we can go with that. Uh, but anyways, I, I just thought that was a, a funny part of that story. I really enjoyed and enjoyed that as well. So, uh, but Hey, you know, that was a good, good bunch of insight. We'll finish up the new test or the gospels here in the next month and, and talk more about, you know, what we see from, you know, the, the crucifixion is going to come resurrection, um, his last week, which is really powerful. Uh, so we'll get on into all that very soon as well in the upcoming month. But as we prepare to close out, uh, let's, um, let's take a look at, uh, some of our listener Q and a, Ellen, um, I know you, uh, you've usually tracked that for us. Can you give us, um, we, we got quite a few questions this month. Can you, uh, share, uh, share a few with us? Mm-hmm. I'm real glad somebody decided to be Ellen on the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, first one, why did, uh, JTB, which I really like calling him JTB, but John the Baptist baptized people. I don't remember that being done in the old Testament. What would it symbolize since we are baptized as Christ followers? somebody with a seminary degree yeah uh so jamie you want to take that or you want me to uh you can chime all chime first and i'll see if i have more thoughts to what you say well what's really interesting if you go to israel you will see places where they've excavated you know villages where the israelites lived and things like that and very often somewhere in the village will be what's called a ritual bath and this is actually referenced in Leviticus quite a mu- quite a bit. Um, ritual baths. Uh, I actually was I came across one the other day, and I can't remember where it was, but it was it, it had the symbolic meaning of being washed, of being purified. And so, yes, um, baptism kind of works alongside that. I think you know was John the Baptist. It, it was probably that. Um, that practice that he was playing off of now it's become something kind of different for us. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a similar meaning, but it was probably from that ritual washing that the, the Jews would do for, for purity and, and for cleansing, uh, cleansing themselves of their impurities. Um, and you know, one of the things, if you notice with John the Baptist, he will say, repent and believe, or, um, I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, uh, repent of your sins and turn to God, which is, it adds that extra phrase, but that's what the idea of repentance means. The, the word means actually like turning 180 degrees around. So it goes kind of hand in hand with that. Now, I think the interesting question is, why is Jesus baptized? Because Jesus isn't sin, right? Like he doesn't sin, so he doesn't need it in the same way that you and I do. But I think it's actually for him a symbolic metaphor of joining with us in our sin, joining with us in our humanity and in some ways taking on our uncleanliness and our, our, um, our sin and things like that. So I think I find that 
an interesting part of that discussion as well. And, you know, I mean, we're trying to talk about this in two minutes time. We could talk about it more, but hopefully that, that gives some insight for whoever asked that question. What's next? Um, in Mark's gospel, Jesus often heals someone, but then tells everyone not to tell anyone else about it. Mark seven thirty six helps us, helps me to understand it some, but your thoughts again, somebody with a seminary degree. <laughs> okay. So uh, there is Caroline does address this a little bit. Like she just says, cause it's not, isn't it? It's cause it's not my time. Like if, because it was like where he was at certain spots when he healed people, because they were, or they would like kill him, or it was like a timing thing. But is that all the answer to the question? Is that, is it, I mean, is that ever really, is it just one word with Jesus? No. Um, but I mean, like, is that what it truly boils down to? Yeah, I think in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus says people are always looking for signs and wonders. But I think Jesus was wanting people to follow him for who he truly was, not just this Houdini who could heal somebody, but who could actually bring the substance to life. And healing was a sign that pointed to that. And so uh, he often was telling like people not to do this or not, don't tell anybody about this, but let, I think let them hear what is being taught. Let them see the transformation of life that maybe comes out of the healing. You know, that's another story like uh, the one in John nine that you referenced earlier, I think, uh, John Lemons, and uh, that, uh, you know, that sense of what does a transformed life look like as that person comes out of a healing experience? And, um, and I, was, I think Jesus didn't want people to follow for fluff, but follow it for substance. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say there's probably some extent to where they didn't understand who he was. I mean, as we've said over and over, and Jamie, you said it, Ellen, you said it, they're expecting what you know less than what he really is and they're expecting less from him than what he really offers and so i think there's some extent of that i think also it's it's sort of hinted at in mark chapter 1 uh versus uh well i got i have 45 pulled up but but he he heals a man i can't remember what he healed him of but he heals him and uh he tells the guy hey don't tell anybody and then the next verse says but the man went and he did spread the word proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And I think the next sentence tells us why Jesus didn't want him to say, um, because he, it says, as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out of this, out in these secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So I think it disrupted his ministry to some extent as well. Um, again, partially probably because people now were just kind of trying to use Jesus for his power. Uh, but I also just I think it 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 may have prevented him from even doing more ministry that he he would have wanted to do. So it's my best attempt at answering that. Was there that. ever a time where somebody did it but didn't tell? Like, did they ever get healed and he tells them not to tell and they not tell? Because I feel like I felt like it was it was always he was he told them not to tell and then they would go and tell. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. That is a good question. I'm not for sure. I don't know of an experience or as a story that where they actually follow what they're told to do. <laughs> Boy, if that's not a sign of humanity, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. right. But it I mean, also, that... it does show that they are overjoyed 
And yeah. they can't keep like the news quiet. Like, they, they can't yeah, stop they, it. They cannot they contain it. They're so excited. Or, hey, I thought you had a limp. Why are you not walking with a limp? Uh, yeah. I thought you were bedridden. Why are you not bedridden? You're up and walking. You're cooking dinner, as Peter's mother-in-law did. You know, yeah. how's that, that happening? True. A lot you of know, them, and, the things that he heals is big, big things, like bleeding or leprosy or right. blindness or lame. So yeah, you're right. That is a it is a big thing yeah. to tell. And all of a sudden, if they lie about it, they're breaking a commandment. So it's like they're they're stuck, right? Yeah, that's a good good point. So all right, third that's our best attempt. Yeah, next next question. Uh, <laughs> if Jesus is the savior of mankind, what do you think happened to Israelites who died before him, before he came? Oh, ones who obeyed the Torah went to so ones who obeyed went to, the Torah went to heaven. But this I'm going to save that for next time. I'm going to save that for next time because we are, we'll get into that when Jesus, when Jesus um, dies on the cross and is resurrected and all that. And we'll answer that question at that point. Uh, There were two more, I think that you missed because you printed it out instead of looking at Google docs. Like, I mean, come on, this is 2022 Google docs. All right. So there's two more here. Uh, One, it says disciples ages, were they teens or adults? Were there mixtures? Uh, Terry Lee Cobble thinks teens and, and I grew up thinking grown adults. So that's a good question too. Um, Really, we don't know. I think, uh, you know, we were talking about this before the show. Jamie mentioned the fact that that since Matthew's a tax collector, uh, he's he's got a thriving business in that ex- in, in that to that degree. So he's he's probably an adult. The fact that Peter and Andrew and James and John are, are seen working with their fathers when Jesus calls them tells us that at least their dads are still alive and their dads are running the business. So. They're probably young. Now, are they teenagers? We don't know, but their dad's still around at a time when, you know, dads didn't really live to be 50 years old or whatever. You know, even Jesus, I think it's Luke that says Jesus was about 30 and there's no clue from then on that Joseph's alive anymore. So um, we know Jesus was older. There was a a tendency, and I think Terry Lee Cobble says this, of, of rabbis about Jesus's age having sort of teenage followers or whatever. Um, that's our best guess, you know, just based on cultural customs and then based on some, some loose references like that. I do like to think, you know, that brings out some of Jesus's humanity as well. I mean, Jamie, you know, from being a youth minister, <laughs> like, I mean, you spend all your time around teenage boys, like you're going to be a human, you know, somebody's going to fart or something. And, uh, you know, Jesus is going everywhere with 12 other guys. Like, they're going to, they're going to do somebody is going to have bad fish one day and they're going to be like, Hey guys, you know? So, I mean, there's that human side of Jesus too. That's a part of that as well. So it's like Bartholomew, will you please take a shower? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come, yeah. Come on, so, please. Seriously. <laughs> so that's our, be- it's, it's a good guess. It's our best guess, but we don't really know for sure. Um, and then the last one we had was um, just talking about infant bath baptism versus credo baptism, which is believer's baptism, which is what Baptists practice. Uh, Tara Lee gives additional resources in her podcast about it. And um, the the person submitting questions said, I took a deep dive, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. And yeah, you know, um, the word baptism, it was not a word in English. And it was, uh, it was a word when the translators were translating for King James who was, you know, King James had started the Anglican church, which was just the English version of the Catholic church. They were doing infant baptism and 
they got to this word when they were translating in, into English for the very first time and realized that the word meant immersion. Um, and they were like, we're going to get killed by the king if we tell him that baptism is is by immersion. And so they made up the word baptism. It's just a transliterated word from the um, from the Greek. Uh, this is the Greek word baptismo. So they just made it into an English word, Anglicanized it, and and then just kind of let it be. At least that's the story that we heard in Baptist school growing up. Um, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of churches and denominations that do infant baptism, and they see it as a sort of an extension of the practice of circumcision. Um, and it's more seen not as a believer's um, affirmation of their faith, but more as a, you know, a family's commitment to raise the child. It's the same way that kind of Baptists, we do child dedication. Um, so it's kind of carries that same sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm Baptist because I believe in, you know, that public profession. I think other denominations do that just in other forms. And I think it's fair to say, you know, both are valid. I know churches that will do either, uh, depending on what you request. Um, so they will baptize babies. They will baptize adult believers and just kind of recognize that it's been a practice that Christians have done either way historically. And I don't think, I think as long as we don't say like there's one way to do it and it's, it's essential for salvation, then like, you know, I think there's, we're open to interpretation there. That's, that's my view on it. So Jamie, anything to add? I, I think I can go right along with that. Uh, I guess just personally, I, I just love the concept of a person owning their faith experience and responding out of that language of repentance that John the Baptist gives us and it becoming that symbolism of a person's life before Christ, the death of it, the burial of it, and the resurrected life that we live in Christ. And so it just gives me a, that personal understanding and, and some like handles to hold on to for my personal decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And and what that means for me, that I, I'm, I'm dying to my old self, the ways that are not of God, and trying to live into the new way of self that is in the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, and that's a good way to put it too. So that's, you know, we mimic what Jesus has done. That, that was the way that Jesus did it. And so, yeah, we absolutely mimic that as Baptists in the way that we practice it. So good questions. Thanks everybody for asking. Those are the first time we've had that many questions on the show. So that was really awesome. Um, anybody have any closing thoughts I'd like to share before we go? Thanks Tiffany. for having me a part of the conversation. Yeah. Tiffany, you had something you wanted to say. Thank Jamie. Thank you for joining us. I did. Yeah. So I'm already planning out to listen to the Bible full audio next year. Um, I know it seems overwhelming to read the Bible. Um, try it one day at a time, one year at a time. It's all you can do. And I'll listen to it in the car, get my kiddos involved. I'm, I'm not a fan of the message, but I'm going to listen to the message in the car next year because I think my kids two and four will be able to at least understand understand the words a little bit more easily than like the NIV. And then I also wanted to say happy holiday Thanksgiving because we are right in holiday season. So cheers. yes, that is true. Okay, so let That's me true. piggyback off of what Tiffany said about planning to do it in 2023. So Tara Lee says in her podcast, like something about she could not imagine not doing it. Like she couldn't imagine not reading through the Bible again. And it's so, this is my third year. I can safely say I, 
like I can't imagine now not doing it. Like there are times I get behind. Please don't hear that I'm on spot. I'm seven days behind right now. Like hear that. But I mean, there's a part of me that I just can't imagine not not doing this again almost. So it's, I don't know, third time around, it makes you feel like, oh, okay, like this is totally doable in a year. Absolutely. That's awesome. I hope that is somebody else's testimony uh, in in the coming years as a result of us doing that. But, uh, well, we got to go. Jamie, dude, thanks so much for being with us. So glad to have you on to talk about Luke with us today. And it's a lot um, of fun. Thanks. Yeah, man. Really glad to have you. I, guess, I think we'll be back with Ethan next month, but that's going to do it for now for this month in this episode of Black, White, and Red all over. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a like or a share so that other people can find us too. Leave a comment. Let us know what you liked or where we were wrong. And I want to again thank Ellen, Tiffany, and Jamie for joining us. We're going to be back again going into December. We're going to prepare to head at that point into the book of Revelation and the end of all things right at Christmas time. Really happy, joyful kind of stuff. But uh, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss that episode or other future ones. With all that said, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. We're out. All right.